All right, so if you uh, have been with us for a while here at HTO, you know that uh, we don't always have the same person preach. You, you hear me most of the time, but uh, we rotate through a lot of other people that preach tune, and that's very intentional uh, because we believe that God's given other people teaching gifts, and we want to give them opportunities to, to do that. Um, but one of the things that we really value here at H2O, it's actually one of the things we said is one of our core values, is that we're multiplication-minded. Uh, we don't want what God's doing to just stop here. Like, whatever it is that God's gifted you in, whatever it is that he's taught you how to do, we want you to teach other people how to do that, and we want them to go and teach other people how to do that. And so today, you are actually going to get to hear from one of our, the students and that does not happen very often here at H2O. Um, but the student you're going to be hearing from today is Matthew. And uh, Matthew's been in our church for several years. How many years now? Four years? Four. Four years, yeah. And um, I feel like for about four years he's been asking if he could have an opportunity to preach because he feels that the Lord's, the Lord's given him a teaching gift. And uh, we've seen that in him in uh, various contexts. And so today... Uh, in, in the spirit of being multiplication-minded and really wanting to raise up leaders for the kingdom, uh, you're going to have the opportunity to hear from him. And uh, ha he's going to have the opportunity to exercise the gifts that he's been given to be able to build up the church. And that's the point. We, we want to build up the church. We want to lift up the name of the Lord. So uh, welcome, Matthew, on up here. Thank you. All right, all right. Thank you, guys. Uh, and thank you, Mar Maria, for sh what you shared earlier. Uh, donuts at Turner Circle was also what got me connected to this church. So <laughs> I want to start with a little bit of interaction, get you guys uh, focused and engaged a little bit. Who saw uh, Barbie last weekend? Show of hands. Okay, and who saw Oppenheimer? And who was crazy enough to do the double feature and watch Oppen Barbie? Anybody? Okay, okay, a couple of you. So I haven't gotten the chance to see either of them yet. I've heard Oppenheimer's really good. Uh, and it does something that some of my other favorite movies do and something that uh, Nolan is kind of famous for, the director, is that it starts at the end and then jumps backwards in time and shows you how they got there. Uh, I think that's an interesting narrative device because most stories start at the beginning and the, the tension, the reason you watch the movie or read the book is to get to the end and find out what happens. But when they show you that at the beginning, it changes the context. And you're no longer watching to find out what happens. You're watching to find out how they get there. And the tension comes from they show you the end, and then they show you the beginning. And it doesn't make sense. The two, the two situations at first, you can't see how they, how they get from one to the other. And that's what the plot is about. So the passage we're going to read today kind of does that. God reveals something to Paul about the future, and it doesn't make sense with the current situation. And so... We're going to use that to explore what God tells us in his word about his plans and what we, can, what we can know about that in the face of apparent opposition. And so I'm going to open us in prayer, and then we'll get into the scripture. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your gifts that you put inside each of us through, the, through your Holy Spirit. I just pray uh, that you would speak to people this morning. It's your word. It's your sermon. Uh, it's your truth, and I'm just the vessel. I pray that uh, nothing that I say would, uh, would stick with people, but only what you say through me, God. I pray that this message would have something for someone that's here or people that listen to the recording however long afterwards. 
Uh, and I just pray that you would be glorified through everything that happens on this stage. It's in your, the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I'm going to start with some background because we've been reading a lot of Acts in a lot of different contexts, and so I want to catch you up on where this story is going to start. Uh, last, last Sunday, Ben preached on Acts 21. Paul has been traveling around, visiting a lot of places, planting churches, encouraging the disciples, and he's gotten, he knows that the Spirit is telling him to go to Jerusalem. But a lot of the other Christians are warning him about that. Even the Spirit himself is warning Paul that he's probably going to be arrested, he's going to be uh, tortured, it's not going to go super well. But Paul is convinced that that's where he's supposed to go. And then we read at Life Group, Acts chapter 22, that's, sure enough, that's what happens. He gets to Jerusalem, he's arrested, he's beaten, uh, well, he's beaten and then he's arrested. He's rejected by the Jews that he tries to convince them that Jesus is the Savior that they've been waiting for, and they're just not hearing it. Uh, and then in the guided reading between Life Group and today, we saw that he was taken by the, to the Jewish leaders for more specific questioning, where he was rejected again, they physically beat him, uh, and now he's back in Roman custody. So things are not going super great. But we're going we're gonna to pick up in Acts chapter 23 today, uh, starting in verse 11, and see where, where things go from here. So the following night, the Lord stood by him, Paul, and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath, neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and the elders and said, We have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now therefore, you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case more exactly, and we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Now the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush, so he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions and said, take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul the prisoner called me and asked me to bring this young man to you as he has something to say to you. The tribune took him by the hand and, going aside, asked him privately, What is it that you have to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow, as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them, for more than forty of their men are lying in ambush for him, who have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, Tell no one that you have informed me of these things." So like I said at the beginning, God has revealed his plan ahead of time. He wants Paul to testify about him in Rome. But the current situation doesn't look like that's going to happen. It looks like the Jews are going to kill him. And so this, this sets up that tension that we're going to explore this morning of what, uh, how do we get from one to the other? And I think the, uh, a good framework to use there is to explore uh, what Paul might be thinking about. Because normally, this isn't, this isn't the first time that Paul has experienced someone trying to kill him. Uh, he's <laughs> relatively used to that probably at this point. But normally he's able to escape or sneak out or the Romans come in and break up the mob before anything happens. But this time he's in Roman custody. He can't escape. He can't run away. He's trapped and on this path to be ambushed and killed if nothing else changes. And so in the, the human sense, he's, his life is in the hands of the tribune, and in a more spiritual sense, his life is just in the hands of God. 
He just has to trust God that what God said would happen is what will come to pass, even though it doesn't make sense. Um, And Paul, being a former Pharisee, very well versed in the law and the scriptures, probably was thinking about some of those things as he sat in jail and contemplated the situation. So I'd like to sort of dive into some of those, explore what Paul might have been thinking about, and use that to build some truths that we can take away uh, when we face similar opposition to God's plans for our lives. So for the the note-takers of you out there, there's going to be five main points if you want to start setting up bullet points. Um, The first example we're going to look at from the Old Testament is God's promise to Abram, or Abraham as he would later become known. If you're not familiar with that particular character, this is the guy that God promised uh, his family would become nations. We'll read that in a second. And so Paul and all the ethnically Jewish people, including Jesus, are all direct descendants of Abraham. It's been hundreds and hundreds of years, but they all come straight from him. So we're going to read God's original promise to him, the first three verses of Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So that's a a pretty big promise, and it didn't happen right away. It takes, there's several years, Abram's name, God changes his name to Abraham, things, he still doesn't have any kids, so how can he father nations? You see, God reaffirms the promise a couple chapters later in Genesis 17, verses 16 and 17. God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah will be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? So it still hasn't happened. This dude is a hundred and he has no kids, but God told him that he would father nations. And it, it doesn't make sense, right? Sort of like the situation Paul's in. The two things don't seem like they're lined up, but God does come through with his promise. If we skip ahead a few more chapters to Genesis chapter 21, the first seven verses, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age." So this is the the first point that I want to make, is that God has his own timing. It might be hard to understand, it might not make sense, uh, it might seem at odds with the situation, but God, God hears you, God has a plan, he is planning to respond in his own way, so trust his timing. God came through for Abraham, it took many years and didn't seem to make sense, but that situation ended up just glorifying God even more, that the birth became miraculous. So for Paul, sitting in jail, thinking about, perhaps, thinking about Abraham, Paul can take comfort in the fact that God came through with this promise, so God will come through with his promise now. That he's promised Paul will testify in Rome, so even if it doesn't make sense, even if it takes a long time, or it's an interesting and unusual route to get there, 
he can trust that God will come through. The second Old Testament example that I want to look at is a few generations later, uh, Isaac has kids, they have kids, they've got a small tribe going, and then they're taken into captivity and enslaved in Egypt. And God decides he's going to free them from this, and so he reveals himself to a, a guy named Moses, one of the Israelites, who's actually been exiled from Egypt because he killed a man. And God makes a new promise, some of the same stuff that he said to Abraham, but he also gets more specific. We're going to read that, Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And my second point focuses on that last line there. I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. That second point is that God wants us to be active participants in his plans. He could do things by himself. He's all-powerful. He created and sustains everything. But he chooses to work with us, which is incredible to just even try to think about, that he wants us to participate in the things that he does. And you see that he chooses Moses, and I'm sure if Moses had decided he wasn't interested, God would have had other plans and other people that he would work with to make his things happen. God's going to do his, his ultimate plan regardless, but he wants us to participate, which is just really cool and an opportunity that we should take seriously. So to, to take that back to Paul, Paul knows he's in this situ- the current situation in jail because he's been following God's plans. God told him to come to Jerusalem, so he came to Jerusalem. He's been trying to share the gospel with the Jews, and that's what led him to end up in the situation he's in. So I think Paul can take some comfort that he knows he's going along with God's plan, even if he doesn't understand the next step yet. He's working with God, and God has a plan that he can just keep looking for opportunities to be a part of, and whatever God wants to happen will happen. Now the next There's plenty more stories in the Old Testament, but that's not the only framework that Paul is going off of. So the next example we're going to look at is Jesus. Paul didn't interact with Jesus while he was here doing his his main ministry in the Gospels, but Jesus appeared to him while he was, we read that earlier toward the beginning of the semester in Acts, God appeared to him on the way. He was actually going to persecute some Christians, and after encountering Jesus, he became one of them. And he's been spending a lot of time with the disciples and the apostles, learning and teaching about Jesus. So I'm sure he understands Jesus' life pretty well at this point. So I think it makes sense to look at some of the examples from Jesus' life that can build the rest of our points. Um, God had revealed his plan ahead of, another, another example of this, God had revealed his plan ahead of time to the Israelites about the Messiah that was coming, the Savior that he planned for them. And through the prophets, he spoke a whole bunch of plans and promises about who that person would be and where they'd be born and what they would do. And Jesus, being fully God, was aware of those plans and helped make those plans. But also being fully human once he was born on earth is a really good example of how to walk with God in his plans for you. So just one example that I want to point out. John chapter 5 I'm going to skip around a couple different chunks of verses just because 
it, uh, it hits the point that I'm trying to make more clearly, but trust me that the verses we're skipping is not, uh, it's not, doesn't change the context. So you can go back and read the whole thing if you want to. Starting in verse 8, Jesus said to a man, get up, take your bed, and walk. And in the, the prior verses, this man was paralyzed. So Jesus tells him, get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. Skipping ahead a couple of verses to verse 15, the man went away and told the Jews it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. That last line is a cool reiteration of my second point. Jesus knows he's an active participant in God's plans. But the main uh, takeaway from this section that I want to point out is my third point. We, will, we should expect to face opposition. We will face opposition when we work with God and carrying out his plans. And I think this is a really important topic to, uh, to understand and think about. And so this is gonna, I'm going to break down four different types of opposition that we might face. This isn't an exhaustive list, but these are some of the ones that came to mind while I was preparing this sermon, and I think they're all good, ex- good sort of categories to think about. The first one is just opposition from circumstances. We see that with Abraham and with Moses. There's things going on in their life that God's plans don't seem to align with. Abraham was really old. How is he going to have a kid? Moses is exiled from Egypt because he killed an Egyptian. Why is God going to use this guy to bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who's going to listen to him? You can see the circumstances that Paul is facing. He's in jail. How is he supposed to end up in Rome? So you might find yourself in a situation that doesn't seem to line up with what God has planned for you. But trust that that's not going to stop God. Uh, You see Abraham, Moses, Paul, tons of other stories in the Bible. God can overcome those obstacles. The second type of opposition is spiritual warfare. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. This is in the middle of Jesus' temptation in the desert after fasting for 40 days. Again, the devil took him, Jesus, to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So if you're actively participating in God's plans, the kingdom of darkness will not be happy about that. There is a a real enemy, a real spiritual enemy that doesn't want God's plans to be carried out. And so if you are working with God, you can expect to face some opposition in a spiritual sense. The, uh, I know I, I faced some spiritual opposition trying to prepare this sermon, and it's uh, only by the grace of God that I am here with enough sleep to present this uh, with a clear mind. The, uh, the third point, the third type of opposition, is from people with good intentions. Now, this might seem counterintuitive, but we'll, we'll read a scripture from Mark 8, chapter, 30, or chapter 8, verse 31 and 33, that uh, explains this a little bit. Then he, this is Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So this is a difficult point to make. I don't want to go too far on either extreme. 
Sometimes people give you advice that isn't aligned with what God wants. God's calling you to a profession. be because they're, they're prior more money somewhere else. And so somebody once is advising you to go that way because you could make more money to do something else because they said, don't go, you're going to get arrested. There's a balancing act though because my point is not to disregard all advice. Speaking wise counsel through people with experience and wisdom is definitely something that God uses to guide us on the ways that he wants us to go. And that's something God has definitely used in my life a lot. So I guess my point is just be, consider carefully the advice you get and run it through scripture and run it carefully, uh, meditate and think about your own, your own desires and whether it's the spirit calling you somewhere or whether it's something that you want to do for potentially selfish reasons. Uh, ben expanded on this point a little bit more on his sermon last week. So if you want a more a little bit deeper dive into that. I would really encourage you to listen to that. But it's just a, it ends up being a balancing act. Trust, trust God and trust what he's telling you and also trust advice you get, but know that not all the advice you get is directly from God. Sometimes people have different priorities. The last type of opposition is much more straightforward. It's people with evil intentions. <laughs> we can see in John chapter 5, verse 18, this is why the Jews were all seeking all the more to kill him this is Jesus, not only because he was breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. We also read that in the, uh, the first passage from John that I read earlier, that the Jews want to kill Jesus. And Jesus told us to expect persecution when we follow him, because the world doesn't like to hear the message that he has, that we are sharing for him. So if you're aligned with God's plan, you can bet it will involve you sharing the gospel, and the world doesn't always take kindly to that. So expect some resistance from people that aren't yet Christians uh, and just don't like what you have to say. So to kind of summarize the whole section on opposition, God's plans can be different from what the world expects, and that can lead to friction and opposition from the world because of that. Paul certainly knew what opposition looked like. He's sitting in jail after being beaten and then arrested and then beaten again and then rejected and then now he's in jail again. He, he, knows, he knows opposition. And like I said, I've, I know this is still the case. I've faced some opposition generally in my life, specifically preparing the sermon. And you might be experiencing some sort of opposition right now. Maybe your circumstances don't line up with where you think God wants you to go or maybe you're deep in some spiritual warfare or maybe it's something that wasn't on the list. But I want you to know God is with you. Jesus proved it can be overcome. Put a bookmark in that because I'll come back to that with a verse in a second. And it will be worth it for the reasons that I'm about to get into. So the last two truths about God's plans are that God fulfills his promises and that God's plans are good. And on that, on that fourth point, I'm going to take just a quick lightning round of promises that God fulfilled through Jesus in the Old Testament. So as early as, as, the, as early as the third chapter of the Bible, God promised to defeat sin. We see in Genesis 3, chapter, verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman. A little bit of context, sorry. Jesus is, or God is cursing the serpent, Satan, after he led the people to disobey God. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So you see the disparity of force there. The serpent will injure the heel of the person, but the descendant of the woman will crush the serpent's head. Some translations say crush, others bruise. The point is that evil will be defeated by the, the descendants of the humans, and that's Jesus. God fulfills that promise through Jesus. 
God promised Abraham that he would use his offspring to bless the nations. We see that in the, the first section that I read. God fulfilled that in a number of ways, but ultimately through Jesus, Abraham's descendants get to bless the entire world. The third point, I think this is the most important promise. God promises that he loves his creation, he loves you, and he wants to be reunited with you despite the sin that separates you from him. In a couple of verses to support that, John 3.16, you might have heard this, this is a popular verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And then another verse to support that, Romans verse 6, chapter, 20, or chapter 6, verse 23. Don't know why I keep flipping that. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So God, that's a promise. God loves you and wants to be reunited with you. I just really want to sit in that for a second. The all-powerful God of the universe that needs nothing, created everything, is completely self-sufficient, chooses to love you. And he loves you so much that he died for you. And that even though you and I, that all of us are undeserving of his love, we're imperfect, we can do nothing to earn our way back to him, he chose by his mercy and grace to make a way to be reunited with him forever. That's incredible. And that's a promise. And to come back to that bookmark that I said earlier, no matter what opposition you're facing, Jesus defeated it when he hung on the cross. We're going to read Romans 8, 38 and 39. I love these verses. For I am sure that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ your Lord. That's another promise. So, those are the five points. We're going to come back to the Acts passage. I kind of left on a cliffhanger of what's going to happen to Paul. So we're going to go back and see what the next step is. Starting, picking up Acts chapter 23 in verse 23. Then the tribune called two of the centurions and said, Get ready 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix the governor. And he wrote a letter to this effect. Claudius Lysias, to His Excellency the Governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman citizen. And desiring to know the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council. I found that he was being accused about questions of their law, but charged with nothing deserving of death or imprisonment. And when it was disclosed to me that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers also to state before you what they have against him. So the soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. And on the next day they returned to the barracks, letting the horsemen go on with him. When they had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they presented Paul also before him. On reading the letter, he asked what province he was from. And when he heard that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. And he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's praetorium. So Paul gets to start to experience God's plan play out for him. We see that God's timing and his methods are a little unusual. It's a prison transfer to a different jurisdiction that gets Paul out of this death plot. But God is moving and God has a plan. And God will keep his promises. Paul, spoiler alert for the end of Acts, does end up in Rome and does get to preach the gospel there. 
So, to, to land the plane, this is a lot of stuff about Paul and things that happened a long time ago, but how is this relevant for us today? We've got the five truths that I talked about, but what are God's plans for you? How can you apply those? One possibility is that God has already given you specific insight into his plans for your life. Maybe a vision, or maybe somebody prophesied over you, or maybe you have a, just a strong conviction that uh, you're supposed to go somewhere, or do something, or work a specific job, whatever it might be. That's awesome. I want to affirm that. God definitely speaks those ways today still. So hopefully the truths that we've talked about give you a little bit of a framework for some of what to expect and how to work with God in that. But if you don't have specifics, if God hasn't revealed a specific plan to you, I have good news. Some of that's in the Bible. There's some, parts, some plans that God has that apply to everybody that we can start to work, work with even today. And I'm going to read, there's two main things. The first is the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So I can guarantee you, God's plan for you involves you sharing the gospel with someone somewhere. If you don't know what else to do, do that. If you, if you take one thing away from my sermon, it's share the gospel with somebody. Work with God in that part of his plan for your life. Another part of God's plan is that he wants you to love him and he wants to be with you forever. I'll read a couple of different verses. 2 Peter 3.9 is the one that will be on the slide. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And the other verse that supports that, it's not on the slide, but it was earlier, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God's plan for your life involves you being with him forever. All you have to do is accept Jesus, that he died for your sins and made that possible, and live with God to see that plan realized in your life. So to, to summarize the points again, hopefully the, they'll be on the screen. God has a plan, and you have to trust his timing, even if it's unusual, even if it doesn't make sense in the moment. God wants you to be an active participant in his plan. That indefinitely will involve sharing the gospel and will probably involve other specific acts of going places or doing things or taking jobs or whatever that might look like. Expect to face opposition as you do that because the world does not always like the message we have to offer. So be prepared for that, but know that Jesus overcomes it and that there's nothing that is impossible with God. And then fourth, know the opposition is worth it because God will fulfill his promises and God's plans are good. You can trust those things. And so no matter what, what happens, what the situations are, know that God's plan is good and all he asks you to do is trust him and do your best to follow him in that. God will finish what he started, even if we don't un understand exactly when or how. So participate, be ready for him to fulfill his promises, and help others do the same. Because eventually, we w the, like Second Peter, the third Peter, sorry, second Peter chapter three said, he will come back. There will eventually be a time when we're no longer on earth. So you make the most of that time today.
So that's, that's the word that I have today. I'm gonna, the band can come back up, and I'm going to close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your truth. Thank you for your plans. Thank you that you want to work with us in them, even though uh, you don't need us. It's such a blessing to get to participate in that with you. And so I just, I pray that you would make those plans clear to us, that you would give us insight and guidance into what it is that you want us to do with our lives. And I pray that we would have the boldness and the courage to be active participants in that and to trust you and to see your plans realized. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, whose death made it possible for us to be reunited with you. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.